Today's reading is from Matthew 22:15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. This is the gospel of Christ. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name's Joel. Uh, If we haven't met, I'm the minister here at St. Stephen's. Uh, And if you've got a Bible, it'd be great to keep it open. Uh, It's been a few weeks since we looked at Matthew's gospel, and uh, we had just finished looking at a section of, of three parables, one after the other where Jesus had been somewhat relentless in in condemning the religious leaders of the day of Israel. And it's no surprise that that Jesus' words would would lead to some sort of response from them. And in today's passage, we we see their response as they push back. And uh, we're looking at the the first of four debates that that take place between Jesus and these leaders. Uh, So I'm going to pray because we, we need God's help to understand his word rightly, and then we'll take a a closer look at the passage. So so please join me. Uh, Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for speaking to us through your word. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us understanding. Uh, Please would you work in our hearts uh, and help us to see why it is that Jesus calls uh, his people to give their lives to him. Uh, we, we pray that you'd uh, help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, there's an old quote which uh, originated sometime around the, the 1700s uh, that goes like this, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And it's a quote that, that we see in many areas of life. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, it suggests that two groups who are normally enemies can in fact work together as uh, friends or or allies against another common enemy. Uh, And it's something that's played out in a number of ways through history. Uh, You often see it in in foreign policy during wars. Uh, During World War II, the the Western allies and the Soviet Union, uh, who normally had their their fair share of tension between them, ended up working together against a a greater enemy, uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, You see it on a a national scale in in politics. Uh, Here in New Zealand, you often see coalitions between two parties who would otherwise be opposed to each other. Uh, But in order to overcome what what they perceive to be a a greater threat, that they work against someone else. Uh, You might see it in in petty workplace rivalries. You you might even be unfortunate enough to see it in in day-to-day relationships, uh, perhaps even in, in family feuds. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. 
And the reason I mention that quote is because it's, it's something we see in, in this morning's passage. The Pharisees and the Herodians are, are two unlikely allies. They team up against Jesus. Uh, uh, the Pharisees were people committed. It must be said that they, they loved God's law. They were determined not to break it. They were so determined that they, they made these extra rules to help people not to break uh, his laws. But when Jesus arrived on the scene, they, they saw him as a threat, uh, as someone who, who disregarded them, who didn't treat them with the, the respect that they felt they deserved, and who cared little for the way that they did things. And so the Pharisees go and, and do a little bit of scheming. They make plans and they try and work out a way to trap Jesus in his words. And they team up with this group known as the Herodians, who were basically a, a group who, who just wanted Herod to be on the throne. And the reason this was an unlikely allegiance is because ultimately they, they did want different things. Herodians were, were happy with Herod, but the Pharisees wanted someone from the, the line of David, the, the Messiah, whoever he may have been. And while they might disagree on a number of things, they both feel as though Jesus is, is a greater threat. So they're willing to work together to stop him, stop his teaching, stop his power and influence. And so they approach Jesus together. But notice that it says that the Pharisees send their disciples. They don't send the, the heavy hitters. As, as part of their plan to trap Jesus, they send people who look like less of a threat. And they'll tell, uh, they tell them exactly what to say. They use flattery to try and get Jesus to let his guard down. Uh, when someone compliments us, most of us probably relax a little bit. We, we feel more at ease, uh, comfortable. And we're probably more likely to speak freely. Uh, and that's what they do. They, they call him teacher to begin with as a sign of respect. Uh, and they say these wonderful things about him. We know that you're a man of integrity. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Those are some, some good traits. Integrity, being, being honest and principled, uh, a good thing to aspire to. Faithfully teaching God's word and an ability to do those things without constantly being influenced by those around you. Uh, it's quite ironic that they say you're a man who isn't swayed by others because that's ex exactly what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to sway him in his words. Uh, most of us can end up being swayed by the people around us in different situations. Uh, one way you sometimes notice this is uh, in the difference of how we interact with, with family members uh, versus other people. Uh, some of us uh, are more uh, treat others more, more respectably when, when we're around others who, who aren't family members, but, but not Jesus. He, he's not swayed because he pays no attention to who people are. More literally, uh, that verse says, you aren't swayed by men because you don't look on the face of men. Jesus doesn't pay attention to their appearance or, or their status or influence or, or all they've achieved. None of that sways him. And I, and I take it the reason is that he's more concerned with looking on the face of God. He speaks and acts according to the truth of his Father in heaven. That's what's the driving force behind his ministry. And all he does, Jesus is influenced by God. And most of us react to the things and, and the people around us. But what a difference it makes when we look heavenward before acting. When we seek to do the will of God in any situation, no matter who is around. Now the Pharisees, the Herodians, 
their words about Jesus are, are truer than they realise. And once they've piled on the compliments, they finally ask their question. You aren't swayed by men, so tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And the question may not seem like much of a trap. It seems fairly harmless uh, on first appearance, but the way Jesus answers could cause him some problems. See, for the Jewish people, the taxation was probably this constant reminder that they were under political subjection to Rome. If we're the people of God, why, why are we paying taxes to, to Rome? Uh, and what's more, taxation w- was probably very high in Israel. They had to pay temple taxes. They had to pay this, this tax to help fund the, the Roman Empire. Uh, from time to time, we hear complaints about a tax rate of 33% being too high. Now, spare a thought for the Israelites. Some people estimate that, that taxes could have been as high as 50% of a person's income. Now, imagine half of your income just disappearing. Taxes were despised, and you only have to look at the way tax collectors are spoken of in, in Matthew's Gospel to see what people think of the taxes. People don't like tax collectors because they don't like taxes. Uh, Matthew 9, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Matthew 11, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Matthew 18, regarding church discipline, if someone fails to listen on multiple occasions, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, part of the reason tax collectors were, were viewed as the scum of society was because people felt the burden of so many taxes. So when the Pharisees ask if it's right to pay tax to Caesar, the Roman emperor, it's a, it's a very cunning question. They've got Jesus between a, a rock and a hard place. If he answers yes, the, the Pharisees hope that the Israelites, the Jewish people, will turn on him. But if he answers no, well then the Herodians, they have a reason to arrest him. He's rebelling against the, the Roman authorities and what he teaches. And both of these groups will be able to testify against him. And so there's not much to gain and a lot to lose. But of course Jesus sees right through their plan. He replies, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? He confronts them for their deceptive behaviour. He, he says, show me the coin for the tax, whose portrait and whose inscription is on it. And they reply, Caesar's, to, to which Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. This money has, has his face on it, so pay your taxes. You are citizens who are under Roman rule who benefit from the, the Roman Empire in, in some ways, don't neglect your responsibility to pay your taxes. But of course that's not all Jesus says. He answers the question, but he doesn't miss this opportunity to teach them. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Uh, some people think Jesus is affirming this divide between secular things, uh, or, or the things of this world, and spiritual things. Uh, there are some things like, Work and politics, taxes, which come under the secular sphere of life. Uh, there are other things like church and family, which belong to God. Uh, and it's not hard to, hard to see how, how people might draw that kind of conclusion between things perceived as secular and, and things perceived as spiritual. Uh, but I don't think that's the point that Jesus is making. While the Pharisees and, and Herodians would like to see Jesus slip up by, by speaking against these taxes, uh, Jesus' answer 
Jesus' answer highlights the fact that God's people can and should fulfill their responsibilities as citizens, but they should also fulfill their responsibilities to God. Rather than creating a divide between the secular and, and spiritual, Jesus is showing that the two things are in fact compatible. It's possible to fulfill your responsibilities as a citizen while, while also remaining faithful to God. Now, paying taxes would, would, could be seen as, as one of a number of things that citizens are, are called to do that they don't like, uh, but provided it's not sinful, then, then don't neglect your responsibility. There will be things that frustrate us at times. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind for me is, is some of the road rules. Now, one that gets me every time, slowing down at, at roadwork signs when there is clearly no roadwork going on. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to think of other things, but, but the principle here, don't, don't break these requirements simply because you don't like them. I imagine that Jesus could have found any number of reasons not to pay the tax if he, if he wanted to, to justify not paying it. Uh, I'm sure he could have pointed out faults with Caesar's policies. Uh, remember Jesus was around when, when things between the Roman Empire and God's people weren't exactly smooth. And yet he doesn't say, let's ignore what Rome requires of us because Caesar is evil. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Fulfill your obligations as, as citizens in this land, for it is honouring to God. Uh, and you'll notice he doesn't give us much detail, so we do want to be aware of, of other parts of Scripture as well. We want to be discerning so that we don't uh, fall into sin in order to fulfil those responsibilities as citizens. Uh, and we touched on this a little bit as we went through the, the book of Titus recently, so I'm not going to say too much. We saw that we did see that uh, obeying the laws of the land is actually bringing honour to God because he is the one who is over all powers and authorities. Now I want us to think for a moment, why does Jesus include that last line, give to God what is God's? What does he mean by it? I think this is where the Pharisees and the Herodians would really feel the sting of Jesus' reply. This is where Jesus seems to be addressing their hypocrisy. One difficulty of this passage is working out what that hypocrisy is. And one line of thinking is that as Jesus asked them to show him this, this coin for paying taxes and they produce this denarius, they're doing exact, the very thing that they hate. The Pharisees are, are supposed to be opposed to these taxes. So what are they doing carrying around Roman money uh, in the holy temple of God? They carry around this, this blasphemous coin with its inscriptions and, and with the image of Caesar who acts as though he's God. Uh, and that's, that's a possible explanation of, of why he calls them hypocrites, but there's a better one. Uh, remember, remember the way that they flattered Jesus earlier. They've just said that Jesus is, is this man of integrity, a teacher of the truth, who, who does things looking at God and, and not men. They've heaped all that praise on him, but here they are trying to trap him, treating him as an enemy of God. What is their hypocrisy? Their words about Jesus don't line up with their actions towards him. Their words don't line up with their actions. And even at the end of this encounter, when, when they hear his answer, as they stand there amazed, probably astonished that he's, he's managed to avoid this trap, they just end up walking away. Their amazement doesn't lead to trust. And I think it's fair to assume that, that most of us in this room are probably not looking to trap Jesus in his words. 
But there is a challenge for us as we think on these verses this morning. Because what we see here is a clear lack of trust in Jesus. These people don't believe that Jesus has their best interests at heart. And that is where this passage really has something to say to us. Because for many of us, there there will be things that we struggle to give to God. Things that we struggle to trust Jesus with. It may be easy to to give to God what is God's uh, with some parts of our lives. But there are other things that, that uh, in life that can be pretty tough. When things aren't, aren't going well in our workplace or in our study, when there's friction at home, when relationships break down, when we feel alone or, or when we're suffering and, and no one else seems to notice or, or care, when we find ourselves in, in situations where we're treated differently because we are Christians. It's hard to, to trust Jesus to give to God what is God's when we go through things like that. We might even think, is trusting Jesus really in my best interest? Look at where it's got me. I don't seem to be any better off than others. I keep on failing. Is trusting Jesus really worth it? Wouldn't it be better to just give up? We find the answers to to some of those questions by looking at the one who is speaking these words. And remembering the the point in history when when this is taking place. Jesus is is just a few days out from from being wrongfully murdered, uh, crucified on a cross. This isn't an an armchair critic uh, yelling advice from the sidelines. This is the, the Son of God who came for you and I, who laid down his life for his people because it was in our best interests. He is the one who calls out, Give to God what is God's. The one whose life and death exemplify just that. And when we remember the one speaking these words and what he went through for our sin, what he saved us from, we see that he he calls us, what he calls us to is is of utmost importance. It's It's the greatest thing we could be called to. He who gave up everything for us calls us to give everything to God in return. Not by falling into this trap of dividing things into into the secular and the spiritual, but by seeking to honour him in all we do. By by trusting him with all we've been given. And that might be something that you're wrestling with. Uh, For many of us, I I imagine a danger is to only trust Jesus in in part. Give to God what is God's sometimes and in some ways. Uh, We might say Jesus is Lord, but there are some things in life that, that it is hard to trust him with. Uh, when a loved one has, has seemingly walked away from the faith, when illness hits, when, when anxiety and worry get the better of us, when sin is consuming us, Jesus says, give to God what is God's. Bring it all before him, for we are his. Uh, in our Bible study this week, we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and in it, Paul describes Christians as Christ's ambassadors, through whom God brings the gospel message to the world. And that's a a massive responsibility that we are given. If you're a Christian, you are a representative of Christ, which is a a big thing. But it's something that we forget far too often. We're we're representing Christ, but we forget in our times of frustration. We forget as we pursue our ambitions in life. Give to God what is God's. 
Uh, think, think for a moment about the image on, on the coin. When they look at the coin, they, they recognize Caesar's image on it with a little bit of help. Uh, as humans, the Bible tells us we're, we're all made in the image of God. And while we have some obligations to the, the Caesars of this world, our obligation to God as his image bearers is an all-of-life thing. Uh, as I said earlier, living faithfully as citizens is one part of how we honor God as we remember Jesus laying down his life for us, all that, that it cost. We have this call to, to give our lives to him return, in return and, and the freedom to live for him. Now, the enemies of, of Jesus walked away having, having failed to do what Jesus said. And you and I, try as we might, still end up failing uh, in terms of giving to God what is God's. We fail in, in different ways, but when we fail we remember Jesus, who gave everything to God on our behalf, who made us right before God and has given us new life uh, that we might live it for him. If everything we have is God's, then, then perhaps a better way for us to approach life is to consider how God would have us act as we go about our day-to-day things. On the way to work, God, God you've given me this job. Help me to do it in a way that honours you. Uh, when I come across difficult situations, when I'm feeling stretched, when I'm speaking with others. Give to God what is God at school or at uni. Help me honour you in my study. Help me as I speak with others. Uh, may the things I say and the way I say them be pleasing to you. Give to God what is God's in your parenting. God, thank you for this, this joy and this responsibility of, of raising children that you have given me. Even though I, I feel like I'm constantly failing, uh, help me to trust you and look to you for guidance. Give to God what is God and uh, what is God's in your friendships. The, these friendships, as as they grow, they're taking more out of me than I expected. Lord, help me to be a, a good friend, a faithful friend. Give me patience. Give me love for these dear people. Give to God what is God's in your marriage. Uh, thank you for my husband or wife. Help me to love them sacrificially, as, as you have loved me, God in your retirement, or, or as an empty nester. Thank you, Lord, for, for some rest. Help me uh, to use this, this newfound time for your purposes. Uh, next week, it's Commitment Sunday for us as a church, where we, we think briefly about how we give to God what is God's in terms of the life of our church, uh, our time, our, our gifts, our, our finances. Uh, and make no mistake, our church wouldn't function without your faithfulness in those areas. Uh, but are there changes that we need to make? Maybe you're, you're trying to do too much. Maybe you're slightly neglecting this call of Jesus to his people. Give to God what is God's. For Jesus is the one who we can trust our whole lives uh, with. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for your son who laid down his life for us. Thank you that he is trustworthy uh, and that as he calls us uh, to give all of our life to you, uh, that we can do that knowing that he has our best interests uh, in heart. Father, please help us uh, to respond to what Christ has done faithfully. Help us as we reflect on the different areas of our lives where uh, we know we're, we're struggling, where we're falling short. 
Help us to entrust those to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.